Youth in Leadership and Exploits Conference 2021. Theme, Emerging a Leader and Financial Giant. Powered by Fairhaven's Christian Center. Um, okay, so very briefly, I'm going to be talking about acquiring competitive skills. Acquiring competitive skills. That's the topic I have here today. I hope you don't mind if I come down here. I usually prefer being closer to the audience. Let me begin by asking a question. What is your window to the world? What is your own window to the world? What do I mean by that? You see, for me, my life began with what I would say was initially a bad story. It was a story of somebody who was considered to be very dull, intellectually stupid. And I can still remember that very well. My, I, I, I grew up, the, the first part of my life was spent in Elisha, in Oshun State. And then my dad was transferred. He was a lecturer. He was lecturing English and literature in English. And then he was transferred to the College of Education in Oyo State. So we moved over to Ibadan. And I can remember getting to the primary school that I was placed in in Ibadan. And you know what I found out? I discovered that I didn't have any way of adapting to the environment. I was still very young, but those memories are lingering even till now. I couldn't adapt to the environment. Let me give you a few quick examples. Number one, the normal thing most guys would do, football. Well, I was terrible at it. I was one of those few people who simply couldn't kick a ball. I mean, you know when you would lago? Okay, you don't use that expression here in Lagos. Anyway, so I was one of those people. Nobody wanted to pick me on their teams because they knew I couldn't score, I couldn't kick the ball, I couldn't be the keeper, I couldn't do anything right on the field. And by the way, till today, I've not been able to really get the angle of football. So I don't know all those players. When guys are arguing, when I go to Bab and they are shouting about what Ronaldo did or what some person did, I'm wondering, what are they talking about? Yes, don't mind them. You know, 22 people are chasing a ball. How should that be my business? So I wasn't good at football. I wasn't good with colors. I couldn't tell you the difference between color blue and color green or something like that. I, in fact, can you see? <laughs> so I couldn't do that right. I couldn't speak properly. I, in fact, till now, if you hear my parents tell you about how I was talking then, our neighbors in Elisha used to call me Baba JJ. That was a nice way of talking about somebody who wasn't particularly smart. And compared to my elder sister, she was just one year older than me, but you would have thought she was my auntie. I wasn't so smart. But the problem, the, the worst part was that it showed um, with regards to my grades, my school grades. So in a class of about 24 people, I would be like number 21. I was still good. I was better than three people. And I can remember a day that my teacher, she came to the class and, you know, at the end of the term, and she said, who came first in class today? And everybody was shouting, Omolara, 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 because there was a girl in that class who was always the first. 
And then everybody was shouting Omolara. So the teacher wanted to tease us. And she said, it wasn't Omolara this term. Can you guess who, you, who it was? So people began to mention other names. And eventually, after they had exhausted all the names, somebody said Olumide. And you know, of course, I didn't mention my name because I didn't believe it could be me. But as a child, you know that childish hope that you would have that maybe, since it wasn't all these smart people, maybe it actually was me. And I was so embarrassed, and I put my head on the table, you know, because I, I was trying to believe that maybe it really was me. And you know what the teacher said? Olumide Bawu. I can still, I cannot remember, I cannot remember the face of that teacher. I can't identify her now, but I can remember that expression. So I know what it means to have started life as somebody that was stupid. But do you know what changed my story? One day, my mom called my neighbor. We were in the same class. But you know, when you have a child that isn't considered to be particularly bright, everybody becomes that child's supervisor. So my mom said, how is my son, um, how, how was my son's performance in class today? And she said, Olumide was very dull. And then my mom just got angry. And she said, never talk about my child that way again. Then she took me. She was angry. And she sat me by the kitchen. And she brought out the number one cane. It was called rubber. So she brought out rubber. And then she held Bankere. The two of them were standing by her. And she said, what did you do in school today? So I told her we had a passage. And then she asked me to tell her what was in the passage. I couldn't tell her. She told me, she, she then brought out the book. She asked me to read. I couldn't read it. And at that point, it finally occurred to my mom that one of my biggest problems was that I didn't know how to read. You see, before that time, my dad had tried many things. Remember that he was a lecturer. He had tried many things. He would wake me up in the middle of the night, sit me down, two plus two, five. Okay, gather uh, matchsticks, count, one, two, three, four. What is two plus two? Four. One minute later, what is two plus two? Seven. And then he would beat me. And it would perform deliverance. You know, the day it became really bad was a day when my mom entered my room. It was those days of using louvers, you know, the windows were louvers. And so, trapped in between the louvers and the net, I had snails. I just loved snails. So, I would keep them in between the louvers and the nets next to my bed. And then, and I would be feeding them and all of that. And my mom entered the room and saw the snails. And she said, look at you, you are so slow, you are keeping snails. This must be the evil spirit. And then she performed deliverance, she beat me, and all of that. And you know, this particular day that I talked about earlier, when she sat me down, and then she told me to read, it finally dawned on her that that was the real problem. It wasn't something that could be solved with deliverance. It wasn't even something that could be solved with more maths or more teachings. 
it was an inability to read. And so she started teaching me the different words. And she was teaching me how to read them. And by the time we were done that day, I could read that passage. You know, it was one of those Mr. Sada is a farmer, he lives in Sapele passages. And I was able, yes, he has a big farm. <laughs> yeah. So I was able to read that passage. The next day, I picked another one and I read it. You know, I told you earlier that my dad studied literature. He loved telling stories. He was a storyteller. Good one. And he would gather us and tell us stories while we were in Elisha. But when we moved to Ibadan, because he was shuttling, you know, the college in Oyo, he didn't have the time for that anymore. So I was missing that part of him. But do you know what happened? The moment I started reading on my own, I just discovered that hidden within the paper were stories. What that meant was that I could, if I could read what was in the books, I could access the stories there. And that became my motivation. So I started reading. I was reading anything I could find. Suddenly, I moved into my dad's library. He had a lot of books. You know, and I, I started reading, and I was reading everything. And over time, I just saw that my grades were improving. Suddenly, I was no longer the dull kid. Suddenly, I was very smart. And by the time I was graduating from that school, I even represented them for the scholarship exams. So how did my grades change? How did I move from the boy that people had kind of given up on to becoming a person that would graduate with nine distinctions from secondary school, YEC results? How? It wasn't... It wasn't because I was smart. It was rather because somehow God allowed me to find what my window to the world was. And let me tell you a secret. Even till now, I'm not particularly smart. If you ask me 27 times 57, there are certain people that can calculate that and give you the answer immediately. I am not one of them. I would rather use a calculator. I am not particularly smart even now. But you see, the thing is, now I know what works for me. I'm not fast either. I'm actually still very slow, which is why I don't just talk. I allow other people to talk first because that buys me time to think. And oftentimes when I talk, everybody, you know, applauds and all of that. But it is not because I'm smart. It is because I took more time to think. What am I trying to say? What is your window to the world? Start with your window to the world. Start by finding out who you really are and what works for you. Because the moment you find out what that thing is, you stop chasing the dreams of other people. The reason why you would put someone like Lionel, is that how they call his name? Messi. The reason why you put him on the field, or Okocha, I can remember that one. Okocha, you put him on the field and he would dribble everybody. It is because there is something in him that can connect with how to dribble. And he can do it naturally. But if you put somebody who is not meant for that, like me now, I cannot, 
Even dancing, I, my body is not coordinated. I don't dance. My wedding, I didn't dance. If you're angry with me because I'm not dancing, that is your problem. I have learned that my body does not know how to dance. So I've stopped worrying myself about it. Do you understand? What is your window to the world? <laughs> okay, so th that's the first point I want to leave with you. Find out who you are. When we talk about people like Joseph and we talk about his dream, what really was the dream? The dream was God giving him a picture of his own future. It was God giving him something that was going to be a template. A template that said, this is who I am making you to be. And this is, what I this is the direction I want you to walk in. The moment you have that picture, it's, it makes things clear. You see, I've, we've had a number of questions along that line. Like, um, should you follow many things? Should you try out many things? Or should you try out one thing and all of that? You know, I, I actually see the points very well. Because in reality, focus, you know, like we've been hearing. You see, Pastor Adeboye, there is a reason you all know Pastor Adeboye for one thing. But you see, at the same time, the moment you discover who you really are, that stops being so much of a problem. You know why? In the line of experimenting along yourself, along who you are, you will end up trying out many things, but over time you will start dropping some things, you start getting better at certain things, and ultimately people will know you for something. So let me tell you something funny. When we moved to the place where we are now, the institute, it's a building, it's big, and all of that. And when we moved there, a friend of mine came over there. And you know what he told me? He said, Olumide, I can't believe that your dreams are actually beginning to come to pass. And he said, when we were in India, because myself and him were in India together, and he said that when we stayed together, I kept telling him that I was going to start a university. Now, you know the funny thing? I didn't even remember that I ever said so. But look at my email address. My email address is profadeleye at gmail.com. I opened that email address in secondary school. Now, I have not even done a master's, not even till now, which tells you something. Instead of going in the direction of the academia, what am I doing? I've started a business, I've started a school, blah, blah, blah. But it still tells you that somewhere inside, even when I am not directing my own affairs, there is something about me that has picked that line and said, I want to impart knowledge. This is what I want to do. So somehow or the other, everything I have done in my life has somehow come to that. Do you understand? Okay, let me go into my points because I don't want to miss my train. So number one, it is called Matthew's Effect. Matthew's effect. Have you heard about it before? So Matthew's effect is actually from the Bible. It's a, it's a phenomenon that scientists have studied and they've propounded theories on. But they picked the originating thought from the Bible. And what is that thing in the Bible? Jesus said it. He said, to him who asks, what will happen? More shall be given. But to him who asks not, what will happen? That which he has shall be taken away from him. You know, that statement, if not that Jesus said it, we will say that uh, uh, that is a very faulty 
statement to make. How can you say that the one who doesn't have what he has will be taken away from him? There are two things that are wrong with that statement. Number one, as a, if you are um, a human rights activist, you will say that, ah, ah, that is very faulty. Why are you taking away from the person who doesn't have? But number two, from a logical perspective, we just said it that he doesn't have. So what are you taking when he doesn't have? But that tells you something. The person that you thought had nothing actually had something. But he didn't know. That was why it could be taken away from him. And so that leads us to a very important point. Everybody has something. Let us say that. Everybody. Everybody has something. Let's say it one more time. Everybody has something. And so the question is, what do you have? Because you see, if you look at one of the instances in which Jesus used that, he used it um, on at least two occasions that were recorded in the Gospels. One of them was when he was talking, when he shared the parable um, of the talents. And then he talked about the guy that was given five talents, the one that was given two talents, and the one that was given one talent. And the person that had one talent, what did he do? He buried it. You see, the guy that had one talent actually did what was, so to say, right. Think about it. Now we see him as the, the bad guy because we have the benefit of reading through the Bible and reading what Jesus said. But the guy did what seemed right to him. It wasn't as if the master particularly gave an instruction. The talent was given to him. It was just given. And what did he do? He felt like, this thing, this ogre, his wala is too much. So what should I do? Let me keep it so that there will be no story. I once employed a member of staff. I want to bring this home. And I can remember a day before I fired her. You know what she told me? She said, look at it. It is not as if anything that you handed over to me has been misplaced or that it has been stolen. And when she said that thing, you know what it sounded like to me? The third servant. It wasn't a case of something getting missing. So please, don't make your standard what was not missing. And by the way, nothing should get missing. But what I'm saying is that that is not the standard. Is it increasing in your hand? Is it getting better? What, you, what was handed over to you? Is it improving? So everybody has something. Okay. Um, now, that, that takes me to my second point. What you have is what you need. Please tell your neighbor, what you have is what you need. What does that mean? It means that Yes, at every stage, we will always need more. You know, you would always need what is in the hands of other people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't need things from other people. Nobody is self-sufficient. Nobody is self-made. Don't believe that lie. Nobody can be self-made. You always need other people to climb on. We should always climb on the shoulders of others to, to go up. So it's not bad. I, that in itself is not bad. But... You see, at each point in time, God is faithful. God always places what you need 
in your hands, in one way or the other. Maybe it might be through a relationship. It might be in some way or the other. But God will put it there. God knew that my dad was going to be a lecturer. And he knew that my mom was going to be a teacher. So he knew that I was not going to have financial education. And that was why he brought certain people into my life. The first time I visited Lagos, I was in the university. And somebody, somebody found a way of connecting me with people. In fact, you might not know. I, today is not the day for that story. Somebody, <laughs> somebody linked me with pastor. He doesn't know. He probably doesn't even remember me from that time. Somebody linked me with him. I can remember the first time I visited his house. I was inspired. That was the first time I would be in a house that was that nice. Yes. You see, those little things. In fact, I can remember my first time of really sitting down and watching CNN. You know, and I was beginning to... By the time I went back to school, I think it was one of those ASU strikes. By the time I got back to school, the way I was talking... Everybody saw that there was a difference. My language had changed. Why? Because, ah, that, see, see, let me tell you a funny secret. When you see children who go to shop right on excursion, some of them from those local schools, you might look at them and you might laugh at them. But some time ago, I was that child. I didn't go from a school. Myself and my friend we brought ourselves to Lagos. At that time, the only mall we knew was the one at Lekki. We brought ourselves there on excursion. And we moved around. And we went into game and into ShopRite and into all those stores. And then after leaving that place, we went to the cinema. I don't think we paid for any movie. Then we went over into the streets. We were looking at all the fine houses. Yes. Because if you do that long enough, one day that will be your story. So, what am I trying to say? What you need per time, God has given it to you. But you see, you need to remember one very important thing. That is that the person that had one talent, if he had traded with it, it would have become two. The guy who had two talents, he traded and it became four. Abby, the person who had two talents, the master didn't expect him to have ten at that point in time. The master gave him two, and he was able to make it four. The person who had five was able to make it ten. But do you know that the beauty of it is, if the person with two talents kept trading, two will become four, four will become eight, eight will become sixteen. Do you understand? What does that mean? Stop worrying about other people. Run your own race. Over time, what you've been aiming for, what God has put in your mind, will come to you. It is a matter of time. So, don't bother about other people. Don't bother. You are not in the same race at all. Okay, so everybody has something. What you need, God has already given it to you. Let me give you a very quick example. You see, when I finished um, from the university, I attended UNAB, University of Agriculture, Abiyokuta. And, um, okay, now they have some funny name for it. Funab, no, I, I attended when it was UNAV. <laughs> okay, so I attended, and after I graduated, I, I, I was in agricultural economics, which was a terrible mistake. Before that, I was in the Department of Mathematical Sciences. 
You see, and that in itself was a bad mistake too. Because I was a creative person. I loved using the computers. I could design. I could do stuff like that. But I didn't have enough knowledge at that time to know that that wasn't enough to go into um, something requiring very heavy knowledge of maths. So at that time, you now had a course called Mathematical Sciences with Computer Option. And that was what I settled for. Big mistake. My very first semester in school, I had a carryover in a core maths course. Second semester, I had another carryover. Now, you see, the problem is not having carryovers. The problem is if you are intelligent, you know you are intelligent, you know you can do this, you know you ought to graduate with a first class, but then you also know that you are failing, and you know that you read. You know that all those things, that's where it is a problem. You've put in all the efforts just to fail. That is a problem. So, for me, I ended up leaving that department. I was too ashamed to drop out of school and rewrite Jump, which I should have done, to be honest. That, that would have been the best. I should have gone into the arts right from that time. But I didn't. I stayed through, found a new department, Greek Economics, managed to graduate. And when I eventually graduated, I told myself that I didn't want to live a life of, you know, I didn't want my life to be something in which I would be stuck doing something I didn't like. So you know what I did? I got to NYSC camp. And for some reason, when they were meant to post me, they didn't post me to camp. My call-up letter didn't come. So it came like one set later. It came when students of Covenant University were also posted to camp. And we were together in that camp. And one day in my room at NYSC camp, one guy who finished from Covenant, he was talking and he said he just came back from India. That he went for computer-related courses and it was such a wonderful experience and all of that. And I was interested because something in me leapt when I heard it. Like, you know, when you connect with what is yours. And that is why, that was why I started with saying that you should find out what your window to the world is. Because the moment you hear things in that direction, something inside you will leap. It's like the baby in Elizabeth. You identify it. You don't have to struggle to know who you are. It is there. If you pay attention, it will leap. The moment I heard what that guy said, I said, this looks like me. This looks like the future I want. There was just one problem. Nobody in my family had ever traveled out of the country. Nobody in my family had ever been in a plane. I mean my immediate family. So it didn't make sense to even aspire to do that. But I asked the guy, I said, how much did it cost you? And he told me it cost him about 300,000 naira at that time. And, you know, the moment I heard that amount, you know what I did next? I created a strategy. Fortunately for me, NYSC increased the Alawi for coppers from 9,005 or thereabouts to 19,5. And you know what I did? I kept the extra. I just told myself that pretend that this extra is not there. So I started saving that. Why am I telling you this story? Because you see, the moment you've set your heart to something, God has a way of making things work around you until that thing works. So it was God that made NYSE increase that money. If I didn't have that desire, maybe they would have been 
paying 9,500 till now. <laughs> okay, so they did that. And then my, that year again, they said um, we were going to, that they were going to use core members for the elections. That um, we were going to be the ones to register people, you know, before the elections. And so for my set, we did the registration. They paid us generously. I mean, for core members. They paid us at that time very well. And then after the elections, during the elections, I, I mean, during the registration, the political parties also sent money to core members, not bribe. They didn't ask us to influence anything. They sent it officially through the right channels. I think each of us got like maybe 10,000 per time or something like that, each core member. So I kept that. Now, can you see how God was making a way for me? The money just kept gathering. By the time I was done with my NYSC, I had like maybe 200K or so saved up out of the money I needed. But you see, it didn't stop at that. I met a client. I was, you know, designing websites and all of that. And then this client just, he needed a site. By the time I got to his office, I saw that it was so huge and everything. And then one of his members of staff told me that this site that Oga brought you for, somebody already designed it for him. And the person collected 1.5 million. And I was like, who? You know, at that time, the maximum I had ever charged was maybe 50,000. So, and that was what I was planning to charge the man. Okay, because he made me travel, I was thinking of 100,000. So, of course, thank God for that information. I upgraded my pricing immediately. But you know what? Now, I, I didn't charge 1.5 million. I, I, I wasn't confident enough to charge that. But I charged, if I remember well, I got more than 500,000 from that man. Now, before I was paid, because I had to write an invoice and all of that, I had done all the processing for my visa. The first time I called my mom and my parents and I told them I was traveling to India, they said, ah, blah, blah, blah. And I kept on with the process. When I called my mom and I said, I had already paid for, I had paid the school fees, um, I needed to get to Abuja to pick up a document, so I booked a flight, like I was in Lagos to, you know, go to the embassy. There was a delay, I needed to go to Abuja, I just went to the airport straight, paid for a flight, my God, it felt so good. <laughs> it felt really good. And then I just paid for a flight, and I called, and I was like, Ah, mommy, Molos Abujansio. Ah, eh, look at the time. You cannot get a bus now. I said, No, I'm at the airport, you know. And then the next day, I flew back to Lagos, and I called her, and I said, Mommy, I've gotten my visa. And you know what she said? So I, at that time, I told her, Now I need to balance up on my school fees, and I need to pay for my flight to India. I have money that should come in but it hasn't yet come in. What do you think I can do? And you know what my mom said? She said, How did she get it? See, to be honest, what she needed was probably like a salary for at least six months. But when she saw that I was willing to go the extra mile, she went to take a loan. Let me tell you a secret. There is no parent that doesn't want to be part of your story. But you see, they will not go the extra mile for you if you are not ready to go the extra mile for yourself. When people see that this person 
He's going to make it either way, with or without us. You know what will happen? They will begin to invest. That is it. So you need to get to that stage where people know that with or without, they will. They, they will answer to you. One more story along that line. When I was going to get married, my wife, she's Ijebu, like for real. I'm sure you know the implication of that. They like parties. I, I am saying that very respectfully. <laughs> you know, my wife, she told me, her dad was late at that time. And she said, you know, my dad is late. And we have to, my wedding has to be blah, blah, blah. We have to invite this person and invite this one and blah, blah, blah. And I said, me, I didn't have, number one, I didn't have the money for it. But number two, I wanted to be able to talk to audiences like this and be able to say that I felt it was not a wise decision to spend in so, so, so way. And so I did not. I wanted to retain the right to talk that way. So you know what I did? I told her that, ah, sorry, oh, this thing, I cannot afford it. Let us hang on until I have that kind of money. And she said, no, I'm not getting any younger, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, if we will do that, then we'll have the wedding with 25 people. Now, you can imagine what that would look like. She said, no, blah, blah, blah. But she wanted us to get married at that point in time. Because, you know, um, <laughs> let's leave that. So, she wanted us to get married. And then, when I told her that it was going to be limited to 25 people, she went back, told her uncle, told her mom and all of that. And eventually, they agreed. Eventually. But they said it had to be um, maybe 200 people or something. And then we negotiated back and forth. Now, you see, along the line, just by the way, they offered to pay for the wedding. No? The problem was not really a money problem. They offered to pay to foot the entire bill. But I told myself, now, I, by the way, I don't mind you paying my bills. I'm fine with that. If you, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. But I like having the assurance that if this person disappoints, I can do it myself. I don't want um, something that, like um, Abraham said, I made, can you, do you understand? I don't want that kind of story. So I said, this thing still has to be something I can afford. And so we, you know, did a lot of back and forth, eventually settled on 100 people. And knowing that there was every tendency that it would still blow out of proportion. You know what we did? Number one, we went to look for a hall that would accommodate a maximum of 100 people. Number two, we printed invitation cards, which we didn't release until like one week before the wedding, and they were strictly on invitation. Number three, we didn't announce in church at all. Yes. <laughs> well, we weren't getting married in our own church. It was my wife's, you know, late dad's church. So they announced there, but it wasn't announced in our own church at all. My pastor knew. It wasn't he didn't know. <laughs> but we didn't announce. Number four, just to make sure that there will be no mogbomoya. The wedding was on a Tuesday. Yes. Tuesday in the morning. Yes. So, 8 a.m. 
8 a.m. on the day of, of course, the traditional wedding, English wedding, everything was the same day. To make sure that there would be no time wastage. And also to ensure that the information wouldn't disseminate beforehand. 8 a.m., I now went on Facebook and I wrote a post, I'm getting married today. I did that so that people would not say it was a secret wedding, maybe his wife was pregnant, and all those funny stories. What am I trying to say? It was a beautiful wedding. It was glorious. We knew everybody in the room. It felt really nice. It was romantic. It wasn't... What I'm trying to say is, see, you don't have to live a life of pleasing the whole crowd and pleasing everybody, spending what you don't have to impress people you don't know. Everybody has something, and if you are wise with what you have, what you have will ultimately be enough. Okay, my next point. I'm checking the time now. <laughs> okay, the next point is know your stuff. Be the best at it. Know your stuff. Be the best at it. Why did I decide that I wanted to go to India? At that time, there were no schools in Nigeria doing what I wanted to learn. And so I felt that the best place to do that was in India. And then I had to make the necessary sacrifices to do that. Know your stuff. Thank God, like Pastor said, nowadays there, you have YouTube. Like YouTube is now so popular. And the good thing about YouTube is you really can get anything, anything on YouTube. So maximize it. Know your stuff. Be the best at it. Be the best at it. You know, there was a lesson I learned from pastor. You know what that lesson was? He was telling myself and my wife about a time when he needed to start a new company by buying an existing company. So you know what he told us? I don't know if he has told you, so I will tell you the original. He told us that he went to that place and then he stayed there for a while. Like for several months, he stayed there, he would come in and go back. Come in, go back. And what was he doing? He was learning how that business worked. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you should actually know your stuff. Know it very well. The boss in any company, the boss is the person who knows the most. Now, what I said does not always apply to skills. So you can be the boss without being the one with all the physical skills. That's not what I mean. But you cannot be the boss if you don't understand your own model. You must be able to understand how everything connects to everything. Or else you will be cheated out of that business. And it will happen very quickly, especially in Nigeria. There are serious integrity issues in this nation. I hope you know. Serious. You can't entrust your business and just say, okay. You, you must even... See, the problem is not running a business virtually or, you know, owning a business and letting other people run it. That's not the problem. But understand it. Understand that business through and through. Okay. Um, and then the next point, pay attention to small things. Pay attention to small things. Pay attention to small things. You see, there is a part of the Bible that I really love. It is... Okay, before that, Joseph's interpretation of the baker's dream. 
Do you know that every time I read that um, scripture about Joseph and the butler and the baker, what I used to see was interpreted their dreams and then um, the butler forgot him and ultimately remembered him years later when a need arose and all of that. But one day I was reading that thing and God told me to go back and read it again. And this time, you know what I read? I read the contents of the dreams. Have you read that before? Go and read it. What did those people dream about? So, the butler dreamt that he had grapes or something like that. He was squeezing into a cup and then he handed them over to Pharaoh. Meaning that, in fact, the way the Bible puts it, it's budded. Can you see? It's budded, meaning it's blossomed. It did well in his hands. Remember what I said the other time. If all you say is that hey, I had it and it didn't get missing, you are, you are not getting it right. That's a waste of anointing. It must do well in your hands. If something is handed over to you, it must do well. The butler had it and it's budded in his hands. But what happened to the baker? He prepared the food. He prepared the food well, oh. He actually prepared a good product. And then when he was going to serve it to Pharaoh, he put it on his head. And then as he walked in the courtyard, what happened? The birds of the air came and then they started plucking the fruit from his head. And that brings me to a very interesting question. How many birds of the air are plucking fruits from your head? I hope you know what that means. It means that, number one, if you are a manager if you are the CEO, if you are maybe a self-starter, you started a business or something, and you are not watching your business, and there are many loopholes, and there are many leakages, then you deserve the fate of the baker. What was the fate? Cut off his head. He's a waster of resources. Number two, what it means is, as a child of God, part of who you are, as a child of God, is you are meant to make things, you should touch something. Do you know what it means to be anointed? By the way, the word Christian comes from Christ, right? The people that were first called Christians were called Christians because they were like Christ, meaning they had the mannerisms, they had the character of Christ, right? But what is the meaning of Christ? Christ is not the surname of Jesus. His surname would actually be Joseph if they were using that um, nomenclature style. His surname was not Christ. Christ was a title. It meant the anointed one. The anointed one in the fullness of his anointing. Therefore, if you're a Christian, what does that tell you? It tells you that automatically by being a Christian, you also carry that anointing. Do you understand? But that brings something. What is the purpose of the anointing? Have you ever asked Uncle Deolu mentioned it. The purpose of the anointing is to solve problems. So when they anointed Joseph, what happened? He solved problems. When David was anointed, what happened? He, he solved problems. He met Goliath. Meaning, if you carry the anointing on your head, automatically, the next thing that will come is what? Problems. So if you are running away from problems, then you should be questioning your anointing. If you're in a place that is problematic, just by the way, if you're a member of staff here and you are always complaining and you are always seeing what is wrong, you should question your anointing. 
go back to that place with a new mindset. You carry the anointing. What that means is you solve problems. You solve problems. Propose solutions. Do things to make things change. Don't be a part of the problem. Don't be a part of the complainers. Okay, so um, I need to move away from that point. So I was telling you about this scripture, Proverbs 24, from verse 30. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. By the way, this is the Bible. I'm not the one saying it. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my art to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. There is another version that says, the, the, um, I went past the field of a lazy man. You know, there was a time I used to think that there were parts of scripture that you shouldn't be literal with. But then I was reading the Dake's Bible one day, and I saw that the first rule is that any part of the scripture you see, first be literal before you try any spiritual explanation. So, you know how I started applying that literally? I started looking at my office. And see, this has helped me a lot. Every time I enter my office, if I enter that compound and our grass has overgrown, you know what it tells me? This is the field of a lazy man. And what is the result of a lazy man? Poverty will come like an armed man. If you doubt what I am saying, look at Nigeria. But please, don't misinterpret, don't twist what I want to say. If you look at certain places, you will see that they pay attention to certain things. For example, the grasses are well taken care of. The bushes don't overgrow. But look at our places. Look at my state. There was a governor. He planted flowers. Before the end of his tenure, all the flowers had disappeared. And there were grasses everywhere. If you cannot pay attention to something as small as the flowers in your compound, then scarcity will come like an armed man. So, what that thing told me was little things tell big stories. And really, when I started studying that thing, you know what I saw? From the state of the grass, from the state of our flowers, I could tell when my members of staff were happy. I could tell when the gardener, I mean, when the security men were happy. I could tell if they were cursing me. How could I tell from the state of the grass? Because if they were not happy, I would see it on the grass. That looks like a very funny thing to say, but it is true. Little things tell big stories. The moment you start paying attention to little details, then you become ready for what is much more. I learned a lesson in Germany. The, I, I was on a fellowship program at the Do School in Berlin. And I got to class, I was late. First day. Second day, I was late. Third day, I was late. Fourth day, nobody taught me to be late. I mean to be early. Why? Because it didn't matter what time I got there. The teachers were always there on time. 
the program always started on time. Everything was always in place. And then one day, I now started thinking about that thing. And you know what occurred to me? The flight, my flight was booked by that organization. And when they booked it, I was going to call them to say, why did you do this? You know, like, why would you put me on a flight that will reach Berlin by so-so-so time, then put me on a train that will leave within, like, 30 minutes? In Nigeria, we don't book like that. Why? Because we are always calculating that maybe they will delay the flight. Maybe this one will happen. Maybe that one... Do you understand? But you know what occurred to me? I started observing things, and then I saw that the bus will leave the place it was meant to leave at the right time. It will arrive at the destination at the right time. Meaning that a pilot could trust his life into the hands of a bus driver. Do you understand? A pilot will be able to say, if I catch the bus at 9 o'clock, I will get to Bonn by maybe 10 o'clock. And then I can catch a flight by 10.15. And then I can attend my meeting by 11.30. And I can get back home by 2 p.m. Do you understand? What does that take? It takes a lot of people paying attention to small things. It's a nat national culture of paying attention. That is why we call them German machines. They are super efficient. We don't pay attention. So, if you, want, if you don't want scarcity like an armed man, Pay attention. Please tell your neighbor, say, pay attention. I'm racing to finish, so I'll, I'll finish in a few minutes. Um, okay, second to the last thing. Avoid the Esau trap. Avoid the Esau trap. Avoid the Esau trap. What is the Esau trap? You see, so far I've told you about, you know, how I went ahead to learn a skill and to become good in my own way um, at that and all of that. But what really is the Esau trap? If you look at Jacob and Esau, you will see something. Esau was the hardworking person. Jacob was not. Or so it would seem. Esau was the one who would go out early in the morning, go into the forest, Look for animals to kill. Do all of that, right? He was the one who was working hard. What was Jacob doing? Jacob was always at home. That was why he was the one cooking food, you know, doing all the seemingly homely things, such that you would say, ah, Jacob, you're a man. Why don't you go out to the field? Why don't you go and walk, right? That is what, that is what it would seem like. But you see, there was one key difference in the models the two of them were operating. The Esau model was a model that required that every single day you should go out again to go and look for animals to kill, which was why one day he came back, he was hungry. What did he have to do? He had to beg Jacob and say, Jacob, I'm hungry. And Jacob immediately negotiated, bring something, bring your birthright. And it didn't seem important. But look at the second time that thing happened. The day the father said, I want to bless you. What did he all do? He ran out to the field. But Jacob already had those things available. So what model was Jacob operating? A model that was making things increase. The model of, let me keep an animal. Let me make sure it has children. 
let me keep the children. Over time, they will increase and increase and increase. And at the end of the day, Jacob always had. But Esau was always looking for more, even though he seemed to be more hardworking. What am I trying to say? This is a trap that most of us that are skilled people often fall into. You know, Pastor mentioned that he visited my office. When he came, there was something he told us that stayed with me. You know what it was? He said that there are certain things that have natural demand. But there are certain things that you have to, like, more or less keep reinventing the wheel all the time. And then he said, why not pattern your business in the lines of natural demand? For me, that was like saying, why not switch from an Esau model to a Jacob model? Let me break that down. What it means is, why are you always having to go into the field, kill an animal, come back home, roast it, and by the time you are finally tired, you eat, and then tomorrow you have to go out into the field again? Why not be smart with what you are doing and turn it into a model that can make it grow naturally? Do you understand? Like a farmer, why not cultivate? Why not allow it to grow? So why, for example, are we still importing crude oil as a nation? You know, there are so many examples for this. But in business, generally, we should try to structure what we do in the lines of Jacob models. So that means that as a skilled person, be careful not to turn your skill into a trap. What do I mean? There is every tendency that because you are skilled, you will make everything revolve around you. So, for example, you are very skilled, um, you're a skilled designer. You are very good at it. And I've told you, be good. But there is a tendency that if you are not careful, you will be the only one designing. For you to make money, you would have to design. Meaning you cannot go on holidays. You cannot hire people because you cannot trust them to design like you would design. And then before you know what is happening, that business cannot grow. Do you understand? So why not move from a Jacob model, from an Esau model rather, to a Jacob model? Okay. Um, yes, so avoid the Esau trap and see trends ahead of time. Look at Joseph. Joseph was able to foresee the trends. He was able to see that there was going to be a famine based on that dream. And then he was able to propose solutions. So don't just learn skills. Look at how those skills can be useful. Look at how they can be useful 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now. See trends ahead of time. Unlearn, relearn. The good thing is most of the skills that we learn, if we really learn them right, sometimes with a little tweaking, they can be useful in other ways. Let me give you an example. Look at radio. In Ibadan, radio is no longer as effective as it used to be. I did some adverts on radio recently, and I was disappointed. There was a time that if you placed an advert on radio, it would be as if everybody in the state heard you. But what has happened? Social media has taken over. So what that means is if you now spend your life building, you know, learning how to do that, you need to tweak that to the future by doing what? Look at how you can make that knowledge useful with social media. Because what you will see is that people who are not investing as much, look at Bella Niger. 
Do you have an idea of what Bella Niger makes per week? I don't know, but if you look at the advert rates, you'll be scared. Now, some other person who wants to start maybe a radio station is going to have to first pay for a license, which is, I think, like 25 million or something. And then you employ so many members of staff. You have to get a building. You have to do blah, 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 blah. But Bella Niger is something that can work from a room. What does that tell you? It is more or less the same skill set, well, with some slight differences. But somebody has been able to unlearn and then relearn what is useful for the future. Do you understand? So nowadays, you know, blogging is no longer really the in thing now. Now it's all about video. So YouTubing, but, but there are other styles, you know, new, new methods to it. Instagram. Instagram influencers make a lot of money. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a serious business model. Okay, um, the last point. The last point. Go global. The world is a digital village. The world is a digital village. It is now. It is now a digital village. What does that mean? It means that this world that we are in is no longer you know, what it used to be. Now you can compete with people who are in other parts of the world. It means that you can earn money from other countries. You don't have to limit yourselves to Nigeria alone. Someone mentioned that he's a back-end developer. You know that for a lot of back-end developers now, you can get employment abroad. And you don't even have to leave Nigeria. Like You can literally be working with a foreign firm, earning money in dollars or in euro, and still living in Nigeria. That is what the world has become. And these things are becoming mainstream. Like They are becoming normal. So maximize the advantages that the 21st century has given. Maximize those advantages to go global. Okay, God is preparing you. So everything that happens to you, everything that you are doing now, everything that you are going through now is part of God's preparation for the future that he has ahead for you. And my prayer is that we will all be able to attain that future in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Powered by Fairhaven's Christian Center.